Welcome to the Education and Training Foundation podcast. In today's episode, Jeff Greenwich, the ETF's Director of Diversity, speaks to Dr. Judith Poole, MBE, former Head of Student Support and Wellbeing at Blackpool and the Fylde College. She speaks about why fairness is so important to her and how this ethos inspired her to develop an inclusive language guide for staff. Judith, it's uh, it's so good to talk with you again and uh, and to get your insights today. I just love that really incredible professional experience that you brought to um, to the table. You've been supporting students and staff, enabling them to grow and succeed over a number of years. And I think it's good that we share some of your insights um, today. So Judith, uh, could you please give us uh, a brief overview of your present role at Blackpool and Fylde College? and your role in leading on inclusion, inclusive practices and all things um, EDI. My current role uh, at Blackpool and the Fylde College is, uh, as I said, Head of Student Support and Wellbeing. And that covers a whole multitude of um, leadership. A large team looking after students uh, supporting disabilities and learning difficulties, uh, safeguarding students, and um, it subsumes the, the head of student support and wellbeing also is inclusion lead for the college. And that's currently the position. Um, and I shall be, uh, as, as you said, actually, Jeff, a lovely term for it, uh, rewiring shortly and um, leaving the college. And I've been very, very successful in that the college has uh, allowed a really long handover period. And I'm happy to say that there's a fantastic, my successor is Andrea Neal, she's going to be fantastic. And she has a different title to mine. Her title, I'm really pleased, will be Head of Student Support and Wellbeing and Inclusion. And I think that's a really, really great acknowledgement of how important this, this is. Absolutely correct there. It's a hugely important um, aspect, inclusion. Why is inclusion so important to you as a person? It's important to me as a person. I know this to be a fact. It's not just something I'm saying. I've had several different uh, jobs and roles in my life. One of the first ones was working in in the magistrate's courts and uh, it gave me a very great insight into aspects of fairness and fairness has been a major major thing in my life to the annoyance of some people because they say to me oh why do you always have to be so fair you know and I'm, I'm really I'm understanding of, of people I think also it, it is important to me because like everybody I've had lots of challenges in my life and my particular challenges have me- meant taking responsibility for for other people Uh, and fighting for them and their rights and their needs. And I actually took, I have three degrees, sounds like a group, but I have three degrees and all of them were taken after I'd had children and after I was in the circumstances I'm describing um, as a lone parent and all kinds of things. And people say to me, how did you do all that despite all those challenges and all those responsibilities. And my immediate response is always, I've done all those things because of those challenges and those responsibilities and the care I have for those people. And I hope I've carried the experience from that um, forward to my my work life as well, my, my attitude to inclusion. Thank you. That That fairness and that equity and that being and fighting for others that being an ally is so important when it comes to creating that inclusive uh, environment within organizations 
and so is leadership and so is leadership buy-in. What do you think the the employment now of Andrea Neal as your replacement, how does that change things within um, Blackpool and Fylde? Well, Andrea obviously will bring along her own experience to help support. Things are already in place, but they can always be embedded further and taken further. I think it's a really big acknowledgement by the senior management to to introduce the title into the into the job role. But I also think it's a very big acknowledgement that they asked me for a very long lead-in period, a very long notice period, and I and I did do that. But they also have allowed a very long uh, handover and training period. I've I've never come across such a a lengthy um, dual appointment, if you like. I'm in place uh, and the new uh, person's in place. And we've been able to share experiences and to assist with that handover so that, yes, you always have to hit the ground running in a new role. But it's it's made it a lot better. And I, I honestly think that the success of that, uh, the new person in that role will be much greater as a result. And that is directly because of the, the senior management buy-in to, to that process. That's, that's clear, that senior leadership um, supporting you and supporting colleagues uh, in this. How has um, the ETF um, uh, helped you in this particular um, transition phase? Uh, well, the transition phase has been incredibly helped um, because it's coincided with the AOC and the ETF project that um, we've been a part of and very proud to be a part of and that project has helped with practical things like training but it's also helped with creating our vision for the way forward it's helped uh, in terms of a new uh, equality diversity and inclusion strategy it's helped with looking at training that we need it's it's also helped you very kindly uh, shared the draft charter with us and it's enabled us to use that as part of our commitment going forward. The biggest thing I think I've gained or one of the biggest things also is sharing good practice with the other project uh, members and especially in the creation of a, a, a inclusive language guide that I've created based on previous versions uh, that were presented to the group and I've added a lot of things to it but it's very much the idea that came from from one of those sharing good practice meetings so very very proud and very grateful to have been part of of the project. Could you tell us a bit more about that um, inclusive language um, piece of work? Yes the inclusive language piece of work is a, is a booklet that exists in a, a web form and in also a hard copy format if you if anybody wanted to print it off and I think that's very important that gives you you know uh, in in the um, in the current environment to have uh, you know preferences available for people the booklet actually uh, presents and covers inclusive language for all the protective characteristics and more the wider dimensions um, of inclusion that as well as the protected characteristics, uh, I've added inclusive language and preferred language around very sensitive areas such as suicide prevention and intervention and postvention, which is a very new word for me. Um, but it's a, a higher education requirement from Universities UK to look at the language of support for people undergoing uh, needs of those type. And it's very important that colleagues, staff, are aware of the language to use to help people. It's very important to use the language that's not going to offend people, hurt people, um, abuse people inadvertently. 
it's so easy to disempower people just by choosing the wrong language and none of us come to work every day in order to to do any of those things we come here to support and help people and help each other and to be able to have um, a booklet and some guidance to help us think first and just ask if we don't know what uh, language to use is being seen by the college as a really good uh, way forward and it's actually being launched this Friday at our uh, as mandatory at our staff development session. Thank you I love that um, think first and just ask concept being curious and being and stopping and pausing listening there's such um, underrated attributes when it comes to communication, when it comes to creating that environment where people feel feel included. So thank you for sharing that, um, uh, Judith. In terms of the the EDI strategy for the whole college, what does that look like? You know, um, what's coming off the stocks? How has it been developed over the years? It's been developed over the years. It's a, it's a, a, new, a brand new strategy that's now in um, draft form, and that's one of the things that will be taken forward as a, a, a partnership between myself and Andrea, part of that handover going forward. And it is aspirational. It includes all the things that we have in place so far. It's, it's at the t- top down uh, and bottom up. And as you've said in the past, Jeff has kind of sideways approach as well, so that things are triangulated. Things aren't just done because we have to do them. They're not done because they need doing from the bottom up. They're there because they're part of the embedded processes but also within fully embedded within the systems so that it's a bit like the the 1970s learning model I don't know if you if you've ever come across it Jeff where you go from you know unconscious incompetence uh, you know uh, ranging through to being unconsciously competent so that it's it's that that learning trail if you like through to, to fully embedding things I think it's a very key part of the whole inclusive practice and using the appropriate inclusive language journey. I've actually mapped out, mapped that out against, as part of the training I'm I'm delivering, mapped that out against the unconscious bias, if you like, and how that's within language and how we need to become more aware of our unconscious bias so that we can take action and turn it actually into into new culture and embedded into the organization. Thanks Judith that's really insightful that that clarity about that move from the unconscious to the to the conscious um, state and it's really quite important when we're looking at um, change management processes around equality diversity inclusion that we go from all our unconscious habits which are formed through our um, past history through our past biases into that conscious state and create those new habits that make space for our learners, big space for our staff to uh, to grow and to develop. So thank you for that insight. Something else which I remember you speaking to me a lot about was diversity across the board and not just looking at any one particular characteristic. And recently, I know that you've achieved the status in Lancashire, Lancashire LGBT status. How important has that been for the college and for you? And how does this link to some of the things that you spoke to me about, mental health and well-being and safeguarding? Well, it's it's incredibly important to me personally and to us as a college. It's something we've been uh, wanting to do for a long, long time. And it was by no means an easy thing to achieve. I must tell you that. And we're very, so very, very proud anyway. It links very closely to the work that we've been doing over the past few years 
on uh, students who disclose to us that they are thinking of gender reassignation or working towards that or having completed that. And we do ask, we do ask for a disclosure, it's not mandatory, but year on year for the past four years, uh, that's increased incredibly. The trend is rising and rising of people disclosing and we're very, very proud. We also have a wraparound support available for students who disclose and who want that support and it, it's things that you know you may or may not think of like making sure that the language back to language again uh, but the language that that the student wants us to use to them and about them is, is as a, you know appropriate um it's about having registers right and badges right and exam uh, names right the whole the whole thing and helping them through the external bureaucracy and, and administration helping them with everything they can but the reason it came into being was because of those intersectionalities that are so important to me and because of my safeguarding role lead and because of the mental we call it mental wealth at Blackpool the Fire College, that's another one of our linguistic things. But because of my uh, role with safeguarding and uh, mental health, it became apparent to me that people who were looking to gender reassignation were under incredible pressure. They often couldn't uh, tell anybody they were having mental health concerns because it was in direct opposition to the path they were trying to take and the doctor wouldn't help. I researched and I first hand experience. I did spend several uh, evenings at the local A&E trying to help uh, students get through some of the anxieties they were they were facing at the time. And that's why it's been very important to me to go along this journey. So we have external links with, you know, police, the NHS and local, um, you are potential call, they come in and, and give us uh, sessions and we refer people externally. So so that's, that's it in a nutshell, really. But that's just one example, really. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Judith. And um, what strikes me is that you've moved a lot of um, unconscious things into that conscious space, and that's absolutely fine. But also what you've done, you've changed in the narrative. There's lots of talk about the language that's used in the in the college. So you're changing the narrative about around certain things. And you also began to reimagine the systems uh, within the organization. Again, those are structural shifts that take time, but which are the beginning of something quite um quite exciting. When we met, I was really quite um impressed by the way that the things that you've done but the way that you've um, almost kept those achievements under um, under a bushel, that's that's great in modesty terms. But I think now with the further education sector, we need to be sharing some of these ideas, sharing some of these thoughts, sharing our successes and our failures. So could you just give us some idea of the EDI and inclusive practices that, that have been embedded in the college and just a quick run through of some of the things that you've done and some of the things that you're leaving behind uh, within Blackpool and Fylde? We've always had a learning, teaching and assessment strategy. That's always been there. When we looked at it again uh, last year to review, um, we added inclusive learning, teaching and assessment strategy. And it wasn't just a word. It was a whole ethos throughout the whole thing. And it had um, and still has absolutes in there that that needed to be uh, complied with. They absolutely needed to be there in order for that learning, teaching and assessment to be inclusive. 
And uh, from that, I created a 10 point one page. I think it's really important to have things on one page, you know, still in the A4 mentality, but one, one real page of 10 absolutes. Um, and that's the basis for reviews when uh, for quality reasons, we do uh, learner walks and observations and looking at what's actually going on. There's now a check sheet to see, is it going on? And I think that's very important. It, it forms part of all the reporting systems we have and all that we do. And it will increase more and more going forward. And our data is really coming on now. And data is so important to these things because we need to act, not looking back at last year, how was it? We've always been able to do that. We need to look at how is it now and what's it going to be like? It's that anticipatory duty, if you like. What's it going to be like soon? What are we going to put in for people you know, when they come, we'll be ready. So that that's for me. It is about culture. And as we were saying before, you know, it is that journey from unconscious to conscious and then beyond to unconscious again, just doing it because it's natural to us and it's part of, of the culture. That's the absolute thing. It's, it's embedding into that culture. And you've struck a chord with me there again, Judith, about normalising inclusion. Sure normalizing that um, uh, thought about um, diversity. Lots of lovely thoughts coming through here. Thank you. Thank you for sharing these things. We've spoken a lot about students. We've spoken a bit about staff. How has the college liaised with the community in creating your um, EDI approaches and actions? We've always had very close links uh, with the community. We're part of Blackpool. We're part of Lancashire. We're, we're part of the whole region. We have lots of networks and because of that intersectionality I was talking about in terms of my own role, you know, the safeguarding the mental health, we have the NHS, we have the safeguarding boards. And also, I mean, the AOC is, is another part of, of that network that, that we work within and, and with. But lots of uh, national networks. I'm on the National Association of Managers of Student Services, Northwest Additional Learning Support. You name it, we're part of those groups as well as lots of, of qualities. And it does entail meetings and there's lots of meetings and it used to be conferences, a bit different now. Everything's online. But we do take into account the local context. And I think that, yes, we look at the national context, but for all of the things I've mentioned, whether it's safeguarding or inclusion or, or well-being, you've got to bear in mind the local context. And Blackpool, I was born in Blackpool and I love Blackpool and I want it to be top of the list for everything. But unfortunately, it's top of the list for disadvantage and it breaks my heart. But I always try and bear in mind that when, when I'm, I'm uh, looking at inclusion and looking at the local disadvantage in context. Yes, the the college in the local environment is a huge institution, really, and has so much to offer, not just the students, not just the staff, but also the community. And we can see the, the work that you're doing there in Blackpool and File to be the anchor within the local area. Looking ahead, what would you say are the next steps in developing and further embedding inclusive practice within the college and across the community? I think the next steps are, as we, we've mentioned, the further embedding. I don't think there's anything totally new at all. I think we just now need to further embed and to make sure that things do become normalised and become part of the culture, so much so that people don't even know they're doing it. So so my background, as well as all the other things I've done, uh, I, my degrees were in linguistics, which is why there's a, a heck of a an emphasis for me on language because that's the way my mind works 
I've talked about things from the 1970s, research from the 1970s. There's, there's other research goes back as far as the 1920s in linguistics. And for me, it's still very, very real. And it, it uh, surrounds linguistic determinism, sometimes called linguistic relativity. And for me, that's where we're headed, because if you believe, which I do, that la your, the language you use constrains your view of the world, I think it's just important that we get that language right. And, you know, I'm I'm no, you know, I'm not got, got the answer to everything. Everybody's got their own ideas of what's right. But there are things that are very wrong. And, you know, it, it's great. You know, it's the whole thing first, just ask. But it's also about ensuring that people feel safe to ask what people want to be associated with what words they want using to them and about them and for me when that becomes part of the culture without thinking about it that's when it will be embedded and for me that's that's absolutely core everything else will follow because if your language reflects a culture that is inclusive then your culture is inclusive exactly right you know the language exemplifies is an example of the behavior and um your behaviours or attitude are exemplified within your language and it's it's a circular argument and it's absolutely clear what you're saying there, um, Judith. You've had a great career at Blackpool and Filed and um, no doubt you'll be curious about how things happen, how things go on once you um, once you leave. What would be your greatest pleasure when you return to Blackpool, say in three years' time? What do you expect to see? What steps, what would good look like for inclusion for staff, students and the community? I think good would look like that the ideas have been developed. They never, never actually get there, do you, with anything, you know, further ideas on board. And Andrea does have some fantastic uh, ideas to take us forward. Yes, on the same kind of trajectory, but, um, you know, um, develop things further. I don't want to, I wouldn't want to come back in however many years and everybody's, oh, we have missed you and we haven't done any more. I want to see it absolutely fly and I want to see that Blackpool and the File College does as it intends and always has done, plays its part in regenerating the local community. I absolutely want to see that, um, including um, all the need that's there and including all those intersectionalities because, you know, it's really needed right now. Now is, now is the time to make sure that we're on that right path and we are it just needs embedding more and three years time i'm hoping it will be absolutely spot on <laughs> thank you and I'm, I'm sure it will be so thank, thank you, you judith you know it's been a pleasure working with you an exemplary leader someone who's enabling change in diversity and inclusion across the the northwest but actually sharing that practice um right across the United Kingdom. So thank you for your thoughts and your insights and I look forward to catching up with you sometime soon. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. To read more about how the ETF is supporting the sector when it comes to equality, diversity and inclusion, please visit et-foundation.co.uk.